Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. One, two, three, break! Down the middle of the field, it is caught! Loose football! Who's got it? one-yard line. How about that? That is the ultimate kibosh. (laughs) (laughs) And we are underway. Welcome, everybody, to the Action Network NFL Podcast. Please, if you haven't already, subscribe. Leave a five-star review if you enjoy the show and download the Action Network app for all your live sports odds and analysis. It's Sunday night, and we're here to talk about what just went down in Week 11. Look ahead to one of the best Monday Night Football games of the year in Chiefs-Rams, as well as a full Thanksgiving Day edition of Thursday Night Football and Thursday Day Football. I'm Ian Hardis, director of the Fantasy Labs NFL product and Action Network analyst. I'm here, as always, with Chris Raybon, co-host of I'll Take That Bet on ESPN+, Plus, senior editor and NFL analyst at Action Network and Fantasy Labs. Chris, what's going on, man? What is up, Ian? You know, just saw this uh, Sunday night game, Bears-Vikings. Bears continue to to keep on winning, man. This is uh, shaping up to be an interesting uh, playoff race in the NFC. Yes, sir. We are recording after the Sunday night game so we can get all that Bears information and didn't want to give you guys a Thanksgiving Day preview and have something terrible happen in the second half. So we should be good there. Speaking of the holidays, just real quick, we'll have a slightly different podcast format. Uh, Chris and I are going to spend a little less time on the Week 11 review today so we can give you guys a little more analysis on the three-game Thanksgiving Day slate as well as the aforementioned Chiefs-Rams game. And then also, Chris will be on the Daily Fantasy Flex with Matt Friedman, CSU Ram, and Sean the Oddsmaker, as always. But that will take the place of the Friday pod. So uh, tune into Daily Fantasy Flex for your ultimate Week 12 NFL preview. All right, we'll get things started with some of our best and worst core plays of the week. Some players pay, and some players slay. Who were the bankroll builders and bankroll killers from week 11? All right, Chris, a lot. It was a weird week with all these uh, teams on by and, you know, just kind of up and down uh, in games throughout the slate. Who was your uh, best play through it all? I think it's the same for both of us. Definitely Traquan Smith. You know, Eagles had an injured secondary. Uh, Drew Brees doesn't have that many guys to throw to. Brandon Marshall is inactive, so. You know, that that ended up hitting and uh, working out, unlike some of the uh, tight ends, which we'll get, I guess, get right into. Oh, yeah. I mean, you said on Traquan, good to uh, see him really get all those targets after the zero target. Dead last week, but always got to keep the uh, pass volume in mind. 
Yeah, man, these tight ends were tough. I thought uh, I was doing myself a favor by finding finding a way to pay up for Zach Ertz and a bunch of my lineups, but not so much. Uh, two catches, 15 yards, no scores, um, you know, and paying down for RSJ and his uh, five scoreless yards that he managed on the afternoon didn't uh, work out much better. So uh, what do you think about kind of messing up on these tight ends? Any future notes for yourself? I thought maybe just with a slate would kind of, so much uncertainty at the position you should I should have probably just better spread myself out from kind of uncertain guys like RSJ yeah I mean the thing about I think RSJ was a good play when you look at the process when you look at the the air yards uh he had a 17 percent target share uh he had uh, I think top six in air yards among tight ends but uh and, and at a really good price especially on DraftKings but um you know he has he's been a guy that really hasn't put it together this year and I think you still got to always think about not just the matchup but just the overall situation and the quarterback, you know, Josh Rosen hasn't been a guy that's been too receiver friendly outside of the fact that, you know, with Byron Leftwich, the the targets aren't really being uh, dispersed in many places, as you noted uh, this week in, in your column. You know, I, I don't hate the play there, but I think that with the Eagles, it was a little more interesting because I, I actually mentioned this to Friedman on the Friday pod last week. You know, I was like, hey, you know, how do we feel about Carson Wentz in cash games? Because... You know, he wasn't really popping as high as I thought he would in my model. I mean, I, I thought they were a lot better team than they were. I, I didn't. I wasn't really that um, persuaded to change any of my views by w- when they lost to Dallas. But I mean, this—they just got ran over today, and they just don't have it. I mean, you're starting to hear rumblings about no one's holding each other accountable. I thought they—I actually thought they'd get up for this game and kind of um, surprise some people, but uh, it went the whole other way. And, and now the Eagles kind of sitting here, probably going to be on the outside looking in to the playoffs if, if they don't really turn us around um, ASAP. Yeah, I won't pretend to have the secret answer to what's kind of gone wrong with the Eagles offense. I think it's, you know, more, more than likely a combination of a lot of different things. But I was surprised that kind of their last gasp effort to fix this offense was trading for Golden Tate from the Lions. I just thought that what we had seen this year, you know, Mike Wallace going down, Matt Collins, they really didn't have the field stretcher. So I thought maybe mm. trying to get – Better outside guy would help out. But now, you know, the more Golden Tate's in the slot, the more Nelson Aguilar's outside. It's just not really ideal for them. So we'll see if they can uh, turn up that combination in the future and get things going there. All right. And now it's time to talk about the biggest fantasy disappointment of the weekend. I'm the trash man. Just throw me in the trash. You're garbage. And you know it. Totally unreliable. Is that it? Undependable. That's it. You've been told off. How do you like that? Good. This week's Trashmen are pretty crowded group this week, but <laughs> Corey Davis and Dion Lewis, we're going to stick with the uh, pair of Titans. Dion was at 27.2% owned millionaire maker coming off that dud against the Patriots. Everyone thought he would turn things around. And Corey Davis, 20.1% coming off, you know, the best game of his uh, regular season career last week. As was just said, Titans coming off, you know, obviously biggest win and really years over the Patriots. So kind of riding, uh, riding that train, going into Indy for big divisional game, got absolutely smacked. Colts led a 24-3 by halftime, coasted to a 38-10 victory. Marcus Mariota suffered another elbow injury during the game and got pulled. So once we had Blank Gabber in there, it was pretty much end of the day for Dion and Corey. Dion Lewis ended up with 32 scoreless total yards. Corey Davis caught two of four targets for only 30 yards. Chris, thoughts on this uh, Titans offense and what Titans offense are you expecting to see moving forward? The issue with this offense for the most part is that they don't really have a lot of ways to go outside of Corey Davis and Deion Lewis. Going forward, I would kind of expect to see the same thing because 
again, there's really nowhere else to go. Like none of those other receivers, uh, you know, Tajay Sharp and, you know, Cameron Batson and all those guys aren't really, or at least haven't proven to be difference makers at this level yet. So Corey Davis seeing over 30% of the targets, you know, Deion Lewis seeing another 15, 16%. I would expect that to kind of be the same. I mean, this offense has just been inconsistent from the jump. And anytime you lose your starting quarterback in the middle of the game, that's what's going to happen. But I'm surprised they didn't target Deion Lewis more in the passing game. Um, you know, I think that should be a staple for them week in and week out because all these guys really aren't, you know, making much of a difference. You know, John Smith caught a bunch of balls today, but for not that many yards. So I, I kind of expect the same thing. They have run hot and run cold. I'm surprised they ran this cold against this Colts defense, which I, I don't think is this good. Um, you know, I, I did expect the Colts to win the game. Um, that was one of my favorite bets this week was Colts at minus one, just because I thought that, you know, that was kind of a steal getting them at home against the with the better quarterback. But I didn't expect the Titans to kind of weigh an egg like that. But again, you know, once Mariota went down, it was kind of it was kind of hopeless. Unless you're a Tampa Bay Buccaneers, pretty tough to uh, get going when a <laughs> quarterback comes in. Exactly. Uh, all right, two more quick trash men from this week. I uh, mentioned him a little bit earlier, but yeah, Carson Wentz and Zach Ertz just unable to get going. Wentz was 11.4% owned in the Millie. Ertz was at 20.4%. So one thing about the Saints defense this year, look, they gave up 48 points to the Buccaneers, 37 points to the Falcons, 35 points to the Rams. They've played seven other games, and none of those teams have scored over 23 points. So I guess how much of this performance do you think was the Eagles offense and how much of it is, hey, maybe the Saints are actually a pretty decent defense? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. I think the Saints, you know, Friedman was actually talking about that too. And, um, you know, I didn't I didn't see it. But, I, you know, at that time, honestly, like I, I thought that, uh, that the Saints defense was going to struggle against this Eagles offense, especially with the addition of Golden Tate. But we just haven't seen the same Eagles offense in terms of being able to execute in terms of winning games like Carson Wentz had pretty good numbers coming into this matchup you know coming into this matchup just couldn't get it done um, I know they have they're banged up uh, on the offensive line so I'm sure that's playing a factor but you would just expect more from in a game where you know the other team scores 48 up on you so you have to you, the pressure's on you to come back down that field and score points and for Carson Wentz to end the game with 156 yards I mean, with with all of that talent, with Alshon Jeffrey and, and Golden Tate and Aguilar. And, I mean, Jordan Matthews as a number four is not even, you know, that bad. Uh, you know, you got Dallas Goder at tight end. You got, like, you just have too many guys to have that kind of performance, especially in the Dome. So, you know, what we heard about the Eagles and what, whatever's going on in that locker room, that Super Bowl hangover, it, it's such a cliche. But, um, you know, it's ob- there's obviously something going on in there. And I guess we have to kind of keep that in mind a bit when we're targeting them and especially again, just be mindful of these, uh, of these road underdog spots as well, because you know, that that's when a team is most likely to kind of lay an egg like that. So, you know, we saw that with the Titans. We saw it with the Eagles. Yeah. The only thing I can really think of that maybe we should have, uh, given more thought to in projecting the Eagles this season was just the kind of lack of time. I guess their offense had to really get accustomed together. Obviously Frank Reich took the job in Indy, John DeFilippio, the quarterback coach, Went to Minnesota. Wentz wasn't playing till week three. Jeffrey was out till week four. So just kind of a never-ending uh, array of problems. And they've just been constantly kind of juggling these weapons. So not saying last year they didn't have their fair share of uh, uh, issues to overcome. And they won a freaking Super Bowl at Nick Foles. But just a whole lot of moving pieces in a competitive league. So, And now for the team that lost the public the most money this weekend, or as our old friend Joe Buck might put it, That is a disgusting act. That's right, Joe. The Carolina Panthers. 
On the road, facing the Detroit Lions, Panthers opened up as three-point road favorites. Line moved up to four points by the kickoff. 73% of public tickets, 68% of the money was on the Panthers. Cam and company made it look easy early on, went 90 yards for a touchdown in the opening drive. Proceeded to not score again until the fourth quarter. Uh, ended up getting a pretty slow-paced game. Not a whole lot of offense, but had a nice little finish. After a nice Kenny Galladay circus touchdown catch to go up 2013, around five minutes left, Cam took the Panthers down again, found DJ Moore for a touchdown, just over a minute remaining. Decided to go for two, 19 to 20, down one point. Failed Riverboat. to <laughs> Riverboat Ron. Failed to convert this time. Ultimately took the one-point L. Didn't even give spread betters a chance to get the cover in overtime. Cam was still pretty amazing, threw for over 300 yards, three touchdowns. Chris, any thoughts here on the Panthers moving forward in this game in general? I think DJ Moore is obviously playing himself into a bigger role. Curtis Samuel as well. I think those are the guys that they would like to probably feature a little more. I think Torrey Smith was was someone they brought in to kind of replicate what they had uh, with Ted Ginn a couple years ago, and that was so successful. But they can kind of get uh, you know more dynamic playmaking out of Moore and out of Samuel, I think they're going to go forward with those two as their number two and number three receivers. I would be surprised to see Torrey Smith, you know, if he comes back, come back into that same kind of role as the default number two that he was earlier in the season. Yeah, that would just add an entire extra commodity to start counting for in these targets. Uh, I believe today Moore, uh, Funches, and McCaffrey all saw at least seven targets. We only had Olsen at three, so that'll pick up in future weeks. Just going to be a hard situation to predict moving forward, but we know it's going to be a high-producing offense, so definitely a situation to keep an eye on. All right, now we're going to take a quick, quick review of the winning millionaire maker lineup from Billy Von Elts. Becoming a DFS millionaire? Talk about a dream come true. What DraftKings lineup lived a daily fantasy fantasy this weekend? All right. Congrats to Billy. 253.7 points taken home a million dollars. He's even taken home more than that. We had a uh, multi-lineup enterer here, but basically Drew Brees and uh, Traquan Smith stack quarterback to flex. His two running backs were uh, Saquon Barkley and Ezekiel Elliott and their great matchups against the Buccaneers and Falcons, respectively. The wide receiver spots, we had Corey Davis. He at least won something today. T.Y. Hilton, <laughs> D.J. Moore, as we uh, uh, spoke about before. Jordan Reed in the tight end spot. And on defense, we had the Texans on the road against that banged-up Washington offensive line. Chris, thoughts on this million-dollar lineup? So the first thing that stands out is uh, something that uh, I talked about this week in the, in the breakdown over on Labs, which is, you don't usually need to go too contrarian at running back. You can kind of, there's just so, especially this week, there were just so many options and so many guys in good spots that there was going to be this kind of natural differentiation to some degree. And there's always going to be ways to get some lower ownership at the pass catcher positions because there's just so many more of them. And we kind of saw that again, where he had, he was able to, to win even with uh, Saquon at 30%, Ezekiel Elliott at 25% because they had, the type of games that were expected from them, you know, to warrant that high ownership in the first place. So I think the Texans were a sharp play going against that injured, you know, Washington offensive line. And then, you know, something else I talked about in the breakdown, which is a lot of times, you know, you want to look at those number two receivers when they're, they're like these chalk spots for quarterbacks or receivers, you know, like Michael Thomas, uh, you know, a lot of people are going to probably end up jamming him in because they feel like he's the, you know, he's the best stacking option, which, 
I mean, he is in terms of, you know, being the guy with the most target share. But if you look at it from a straight up correlational standpoint and like what would benefit you the most in a lineup like that, um, getting kind of the cheaper guy who, you know, hasn't necessarily produced at that level, but that's why his salary is a little bit lower is usually going to help you out. So that's why I always kind of advocate for playing the guys like, you know, when, when Julio's chalk, you know, look at Calvin Ridley, when, you know, when Michael Thomas's chalk, look at Traquan Smith, you know, and, and things like that. I mean, you could have even taken it further and like Tajay Sharp ended up, I think, scoring a touchdown in Corey Davis was pretty chalky as well. So uh, that's always something to keep in mind on these, uh, on these slates when there's going to be like a real chalky spot. It's just like, how do I differentiate a little bit off of that and, and save some salary at the same time? Because another thing it was with, when you have a really expensive stack, like it can work, but you're kind of defeating some of the purpose of stacking because you're kind of paying a premium to get the correlation where um, when you had a breeze in to Traquan Smith, all of a sudden now that's kind of like a below average combination in terms of salary right there once you factor in Traquan. So I thought it was uh, I thought that was a sharp play. And then, you know, Jordan Reed, finally, you know, the targets were there. That's why we always follow the volume. The targets had been there all season. His target rate had, I think, climbed over 20% or hit 20% coming into this week. And finally took advantage of a good matchup, found the end zone. Yeah, especially with Jay Reed there. I mean, whenever you can get a situation like that where the vol- the volume's rising and you're meeting a price point that it was literally, I think, his lowest since like 2015, uh, just a good situation to pull the trigger on. Congrats to Billy Von Elds. All right, we're not going to go through all the injuries today in workload like we usually do, but I'm going to quickly go over some of today's key injuries to skill position players. Keep your head on a swivel for the injury report. Brandon LaFell, the Raiders wide receiver, suffered a torn Achilles and will miss the remainder of the season. Uh, waiver wire people who enjoy attacking the Raiders passing game should consider Seth Roberts and Marcel Aitman, who had five targets today, but might be better off looking elsewhere. Also on the Raiders, Doug Martin suffered an ankle injury, didn't play much in the second half. We're looking at Jalen Richard and DeAndre Washington backfield moving forward if Martin can't suit up. Alex Smith suffered a broken leg and will miss the remainder of the season. Colt McCoy will take over for the Redskins at quarterback, and he'll be out there Thursday night against the Cowboys. O.J. Howard suffered an ankle injury and wasn't able to return. Obviously, go get your Cam Brait while we have this one tight end in Tampa Bay for the time being. Carrion Johnson suffered a knee injury and was unable to return. Probably the biggest one of this group as far as just, you know, week-to-week skill position guys. Would expect Theo Riddick to have a bigger role in the backfield. Obviously, Garrett Blunt has seen some early down work as well. Ultimately, it could just be a three-back committee between Riddick, Blunt, and maybe Zach Zenner elevated from the practice squad. And then, as we mentioned earlier, Marcus Mariota suffered an elbow injury. Well, Blaine Gabbard in there. You probably see some negative Blaine Gabbard splits this week, and it makes sense. Not a great situation to target with a backup quarterback. Chris, real quick, any thoughts on these guys? I think with Garrett Blunt, we'll actually see a pretty significant workload if uh, if carry-on's out just because you know he's like a Matt Patricia guy and Matt Patricia has been trying to kind of establish the run. Matthew Stafford has, it's been a whole different kind of beast without Golden Tate in the lineup. So I do think they'll kind of uh, try to maybe lean a little bit more on that power running game if Carrion is out, but we'll see what happens. And LeGarrette Blunt's last four games, if you haven't been paying attention, 21 carries, 16 yards. Zero. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. He, old. Right. <laughs> he is getting up there. All right. Now let's move on to the premier primetime matchup of the year. We got the Rams versus the Chiefs in Los Angeles. We were supposed to be in Mexico City, but was it? Oh, man, I forget the concert name. There's some concert that got too rowdy, feel not good, and we are now back in L.A. 
The Rams opened as a one-point favorite. They're up to three-point favorites. Uh, you know, obviously it has to do with the field change setting. And the insane over-under of 63.5 points has dropped to only 63 points. So, Chris, we'll, we'll go through a couple of different things in this game, but I want to start off with uh, what do you think about Jared Goff and this Rams passing attack versus the Chiefs secondary? Obviously, this is going to be without Cooper Cup, who uh, suffered a torn ACL and will miss the remainder of the season. I'm fascinated by this because – I don't know if this is kind of just, you know, small sample noise or what, but I think I've talked about this before. Cooper Cup went down in week six. He didn't play the majority of that game. And then he missed week seven and eight. So in those three weeks, the Rams were only 22nd in the league in passing success rate. They were number two in the league in all of the other weeks when they had Cup. So that's something to, to watch. Cup was seventh in the league in yards per route run from the slot per pro football focus at 2.42. You know, Robert Woods is probably going to be the guy to take his place. He's actually 17th in the league uh, coming into this week in yards per route running the slot as well. So it's not a huge drop off, but that kind of puts Josh Reynolds on the outside, the, uh, the second year man. And in week six through eight, Josh Reynolds average up the target was uh, only 6.6 for the season. He's at 11.8. Robert Woods stayed the same. So, you know, even though he comes in the slot more, you know, he was right around 11 and a half average up the target either way but Brandon Cooks his average up the target shot up to 20.9 and for the season he's only at 13.1 so what it seems like is they kind of had Josh Reynolds you know even though he's on the perimeter running some of the shorter routes some of the underneath stuff and using Brandon Cooks more in that traditional field stretcher role so what that might do is make him a little bit more give well first of all give him a little bit more upside as if he needs any more of that but also uh, make, make him a little more volatile as well like not quite at you know not quite as high floor because even you know in that stretch uh, he caught nine out of 19 targets so that's what's going to happen when you're targeted over 20 yards downfield on average so that's something to kind of watch I think it'll be fine for this game because there's not really many places for the targets to go so in that three-week span Cook's was getting a 44% of the team's air yards, 22% of the targets. Robert Woods jumped up to uh, 31% of the air yards and 27% of the targets. And then Gurley is at 19% of the targets. And uh, no one else was in the double digits. You had Josh Reynolds, uh, 9% of the targets, and Gerald Everett as well. So this is going to be a pretty highly concentrated offense, uh, I would imagine, with Cooper Cup out. And there's also the, the issue of the red zone as well, because Cup was their go-to guy for the most part in the red zone. He was targeted in the red zone on 21% of his 150 career targets. And, you know, he, he caught eight touchdowns on 31 uh, red zone targets. And of course, red zone is just kind of an arbitrary cutoff. We're just trying to identify, you know, what, what Sean McVay is doing in scoring position, but, you know, obviously a target from like the five is different from a target from the the 18, but for the most part, you know, cup was their guy in there. And Josh Reynolds is going to probably take that role because 10 of his, 36 career targets. So 28% of his targets so far as a Ram have come in the red zone. He's kind of been used as a specialist. That's a lot different from Robert Woods. Uh, Only 9% of his targets with the Rams have come in the red zone. So Sean McVay has been a little bit hesitant or maybe uh, Woods has been a little bit more of a decoy. I got to go back and watch to see exactly what's going on there. But the bottom line is Woods hasn't been targeted nearly as much in the red zone as, as the other guys. And even Brandon Cook's has a, you know, 14% of his targets have come in the red zone this year with the Rams. So um, we have, we'll have to see if, uh, if Woods gets a little bump there uh, with cup out or those targets keep going to Reynolds because they could very well keep going to Reynolds and create a situation where you could have another one of those games where Reynolds, uh, you know, has that two multi-touchdown upside, even though I think he only caught 
yeah, in that game, he had two touchdowns. He only caught what, three or four balls, if I'm not mistaken. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so um, you might have another situation like that. And that's kind of that's probably one of the things that's going to um, ultimately decide the slate in the tournaments for DFS is, you know, what what ends up happening with Josh Reynolds? Is it going to be him? Is it going to be somebody like Everett or Tyler Higby? Those guys would probably be the, uh, you know, not as good of a bet as Reynolds just based on past usage to be the go-to guy in scoring position for Sean McVay's offense. But I think it's going to be a lot of Todd Gurley, to, to be completely honest. Obviously, Gurley's in his own, you know, workhorse tier. But I think other than Woods, Cooks, and Reynolds, the only other guys you can kind of consider here is Gerald Everett. I, I would stay away from Tyler Higby just because they view Everett as kind of a better pass catcher, a tight end, for good reason. He is the better pass catcher, tight I mean, end. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, it depends what you're playing. Like, if you're playing like the, if you're trying to win the the showdown, like the the you know the the big the large field tournaments, I you I think you have to consider like every pretty much everybody just because yeah, this is a one. You know, like, I think it was Aldrick. Rob- I mean, I, I don't think he ended up in the winning lineup, but uh, Aldrick Robinson caught a touchdown today, and I'm sure that could have like factored in if somebody had actually played him. But for sure. <laughs> but yeah, no, I agree. I think Everett is the uh, is, is he's like the more athletic guy. He's the better pass catcher. Um, you know, he gets targeted at a higher rate when, when he's in there. Yeah. And so we are going to see this slightly different Rams offense with Cup out of the lineup. Like you said, Robert Woods was uh, their featured slot receiver during that stretch with Cup out, Cooks as their left receiver, and Reynolds as their right. Interestingly, in this matchup, the Chiefs haven't moved their cornerbacks around much this year. So we can pretty accurately forecast who these guys are going to be seeing. Uh, Robert Woods is going to be seeing uh, Kendall Fuller, who I think is the Chiefs' best overall cornerback. He's the guy that got the trade with Washington for Alex Smith, uh, one of the league's better nickelbacks. Brandon Cook's going to be on the left side against Steven Nelson, who is uh, good news for Cooks, the Chiefs' slowest cornerback in terms of their 40 times. So I like that matchup for Cooks. And then Josh Reynolds will be on the right with Orlando Skandrick. I mean, we've lost the Chiefs all year. They're not exactly a defense we need to fear per se, but, I mean, they've kind of been turning into a little bit of a run-funnel defense. Uh, couldn't help but notice they were a top-two defense against uh, number one, number two wide receivers in DVOA. They're 13th against the pass overall. There's 29th against the run. Uh, do you think this could be a similar thing as the Saints, where we kind of wrote this defense off as like one of the worst in the league to start the year, and maybe they're a little bit closer like the average than we give them credit for? I think so. I think so. Um, that was kind of my thought coming into the season as well. You know, I, I looked at this defense, and I knew it would be – uh, you know, it wouldn't be up to the standard of previous Chiefs defenses, but I thought, you know, if you gave it some time, um, they had kind of enough there to, to make it work, and that's what they're that's what they're doing right now. I, I think you kind of hit on it though. If they're becoming a run funnel, I would imagine that you know Sean McVay, looking at the same numbers we are, you know, saw his offense pass off its night not quite live up to. Um, you know, what it was with Cup in the lineup. And he's probably thinking of ways to, to continue to run the ball on this on this team. And, you know, we talked about it last week. You know, he's using these jet sweeps. And uh, Anthony Amico actually did a great article over on the Action Network about, uh, you know, both of these teams really using in using the jet sweep, you know, set jet motion, sending a, a receiver in motion and using that, you know, in the pass game and in the run game. And I think you'll probably see Cooks, Woods get a couple extra carries as well to kind of, you know, supplement some of those, uh, you know, kind of high percentage uh, pass plays that would have gone a cup. Uh, I think that's probably what Sean McVay is going to draw up. I think this, uh, I think he's going to want to run the ball because, you know, his defense has been struggling at times lately, pretty much all the time. I think you're going to see a run heavy game plan from Sean McVay with, uh, you know, obviously a lot of uh, 
Todd Gurley in the passing game as well. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, this is one of the run heaviest game plans we've seen all year. Yeah, I mean, I was writing my uh, matchup manifesto article this week, looking at every game uh, in week 11. And I really do think that this Rams offensive line, uh, run blocking versus the Chiefs front seven, what is and was the single biggest mismatch of mm-hmm. week 11. I mean, this is the number one offensive line adjusted line yards per rush versus the number 32 defensive line adjusted line yards per rush. Uh, I've been tracking the sum of those numbers in each specific matchup since week four, and this is easily the uh, largest combined sum. So, I mean, if Gurley can't find some lanes in this matchup, I will be shocked. Moving on to the Chiefs' side of the ball on offense. So, Sammy Watkins is questionable with a hamstring injury. I'm sorry, with a foot injury. He's had a couple injuries this year. The Chiefs went ahead, though, and elevated Garrick Dieter from their practice squad. He spent last season on their practice squad. Uh, he's not a guy, name you really need to worry about playing, but that move does signify that we're kind of expecting Watkins to be out now. If, if we're going to go ahead and assume Watkins is out, we're expecting Tyree Kill to be with Chris Conley, as always, and also Demarcus Robinson, three wide receiver sets. Uh, we saw this in basically two games without Sammy Watkins, and Tyreek ended up with 23 targets, Travis Kelsey had 19, and Conley was the next closest guy at eight. Chris, if we're assuming Sammy Watkins is out here, uh, how are you approaching this Chiefs passing game? Yeah, I think it's going to be more concentrated because – you know, so Hill and Kelsey, each of them get targeted on 23% of their routes. Then you have Watkins at 18%, uh, Spencer Ware, the backup running back at 18%, Demarcus Robinson at 15 Hunt at 14 uh, Demetrius Harris, the backup tight end at 12%, and then Conley way down there at 8%. So, so Conley's not a guy that you know, just because Sammy Watkins is out. And it's kind of similar to Josh Reynolds in a way. It's just that Reynolds tends to get a little more, you know, usage in the red zone, but he's also not a very high usage receiver either. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Conley is not a guy that's just going to automatically start getting open more (laughs) just because (laughs) Sammy Watkins isn't in the lineup. So I think that, you know, obviously Conley has upside just for being attached to Patrick Mahomes, but I don't think his outlook changes significantly just because Watkins is out. I think if anything, it just kind of gives a few more targets to to Hill and Kelsey because Patrick Mahomes ha- has just been a, a guy that, that's been feeding those guys. And, you know, he, you know, the Chiefs will kind of scheme up and, and script some plays for, for the complimentary pieces at times. But when Patrick, when it comes down to it, Patrick Mahomes is targeting Hill and Kelsey at, at high rates. And uh, I think that'll, that'll just kind of increase in this matchup and, and and these guys will continue to play second fiddle. Yeah. I think I highlighted Conley as one of my uh, worst plays in one of those weeks. And it was <laughs> out because we do have to remember, I mean, just because a guy is going to the role, even if you are a gifted athlete like Conley is, and you're being underused in your current role, not guaranteed for uh, more targets. So yeah. And then Demarcus Robinson's, I mean, he's, he's in that same boat as Chris Conley. So really, if you're, if you're going off of Tyreek and Kelsey, I mean, it's, Obviously, uh, showdown slate, you got to do what you got to do. But well, those so, guys get the complimentary options. It, it's actually options. interesting because, like, so if Robinson if Robinson is going to end up playing as, like, a full-time receiver, I think he would end up having a little bit more upside just because it, he's been targeted on 15% of his routes to Conley's eight. So that's almost double. So, like, if they're getting – like, if they're running a similar number of routes, you know, based on – what's happened so far this year, you know, uh, Robinson would essentially have like double the upside of Conley. I mean, I don't know if that'll continue, but uh, definitely something to keep in mind. Yeah. And he's definitely the, I mean, the lesser name, I think out of the two lesser names. So uh, we'll see how the ownership shakes out on that. 
Uh, as far as the cornerback situation goes, uh, if you've watched any Rams games this year, you've probably seen Marcus Peters uh, getting roasted a time or two. I, I was sticking up for Peters. I think I still think he's playing hurt a little bit, and I, I appreciate Peters is one of the few cornerbacks that will kind of gamble and uh, take chances to make plays on the ball uh, versus kind of just letting your receiver pick you apart. But unfortunately, for the last seven, eight weeks, I mean, he's been gambling without much success, and he's just been getting roasted continuously. One of only three cornerbacks this year to allow at least six touchdowns in coverage. He's uh, shadowed Devontae Adams and Michael Thomas over the last few weeks. Adams went for 133 yards on five catches. Michael Thomas, 211 yards, 12 catches, and a touchdown. I mean, there's a chance, I guess, they could ask him to uh, shadow Tyreek Hill, but uh, neither Hill nor Watkins have spent over 40% of their snaps in a single location this year. I mean, Andy Reid does such a good job of just continuously moving them all around the formation. Chris, is there anything kind of in this uh, Rams secondary or the Rams defense in general that worries you about this matchup? Or is it just, I mean, let Tyreek run free? Oh, no, I think there's definitely some concern in this matchup. Um, same thing, you know, why you're seeing this spread kind of hold steady at the Rams, you know, three, three and a half. And it's not, you know, even, there's a lot of public support on the Chiefs, but uh, the line is not really coming down uh, below that key number three. And I think it's because Patrick Mahomes – he should expect to, to get pressured a decent amount in this game from this Rams front. You have Aaron Donald. Now you have Dante Fowler and uh, pro football focus actually has, you know, the Rams as the uh, number one team in terms of projected pressure rate for this week against the Kansas city chiefs. Patrick Mahomes, when he's had a clean pocket this year has a 140.5 pass rating. That's first in the league, 78% completions, 27 touchdowns and three picks. But then when he's under pressure, that drops to, you know, and of course, every quarterback drops, but <laughs> under pressure, Mahomes passer rating only 64.6. That's 24th in the league, completing only 43% of his passes with four touchdowns and four interceptions. So he's a whole, he's a, he's human when he's pressured, <laughs> essentially. Um, now we know he has these physical gifts that, you know, he can mitigate pressure, you know, after a while, like it's only a matter of time before he improvises and kind of creates something out of nothing, kind of like Aaron Rodgers, but that's been the way to kind of uh, slow him down a bit is to get pressure on him. And the Rams, that's the one thing they should be able to do in this matchup. So that's another kind of wrinkle to this whole Sammy Watkins potentially being out. The Rams run defense hasn't been very good either. So I think we could see Kareem Hunt is a very big part of this game plan, both from running the ball, but also maybe catching a few uh, screen passes and things to kind of slow down that pass rush a bit and take advantage of, of some of those guys in coverage because, uh, you know, if Patrick Mahomes is getting pressured, you know, he's on the road. So, you know, that, that's all, that's why that changes. And that's why that line changed, I think a little bit too, when, you know, you, you don't have the home field advantage. And one of the things about the home field advantage is that that crowd noise and, you know, it's easier to kind of deal with pressure when you're at home and, and you can, you can hear your, your, your audibles and, and whatnot. So I think this kind of sets up as like a sneaky spot where, especially in like a large field GPP, you know, you're, you're going to be looking for that, that cheaper playing on DraftKings. You know, they, they let you play the defenses. And, you know, this is a spot where I don't think anyone's going to want to touch either defense. But, you know, in these high-scoring games, you know, we see it all the time. You know, you can, a defense, could, you know, player makes a mistake. Uh, it could be, you could end up with a touchdown or two from this Rams defense. So I think that's kind of a play you got to consider. And, of course, you, you have that natural correlation if you uh, stack them with Todd Gurley. Yeah, man, I think you made a good point here about the pressure that the Rams could bring. I think this could be kind of 
in terms, I mean, I think the Rams defensive line is easily the best single uh, defensive position group on either team in this game. Aaron Donald, obviously all world defensive tackle and the Dominican Sue has been playing great this year too. They're PFS number one, number 19 overall interior defenders this season. And they added Dante Fowler from the trade deadline to give him an edge rusher where, you know, Sue and Donald were able to push the pocket and the quarterback can't just escape out the outside every play like uh, Patrick Mahomes loves to do. So <laughs> might be able to keep him inside the pocket a little more. But what really interested me was I was digging into the uh, uh, adjusted line yards kind of directionally for the Chiefs. And they're really good on the outside, which makes sense. I mean, we hear Jeff Schwartz, a uh, fellow Action Network analyst, always hyping up his brother, uh, Mitch, and how great he's playing. Obviously, Eric Fisher, really highly paid left tackle on the other side. I mean, they're strong at the tackles, but... Their center, Mitch Morris, is out with another concussion. Their guard play just hasn't been as strong this year. And, I mean, if they're going to try to do that against Donald and Sue up the middle, I'm mean, not saying it can't happen. The Chiefs are talented enough to scheme, uh, hunt some rushing lanes. But that's an issue in the middle of the line. Yeah, I think what's been their downfall a lot of times is that when you can kind of push the pocket and rush from, from the inside is a lot of times you end up running right at these guys and they're just like running up the field the other way. And you can kind of make it work that way. So we'll see what I like. Andy Reid's definitely going to have to kind of scheme up some new some new wrinkles for his offenses if he's going to be without Sammy Watkins and he's facing this much pressure because it's not going to be ideal on the road if Patrick Mahomes is just like constantly under duress with this like new and improved uh, Rams front. But at the same time, if you're the Rams, it's kind of like you're in a conundrum too if you're Wade Phillips because it's like, okay, well, we know we need to get pressure on Patrick Mahomes. But, you know, are, are we going to kind of blitz them? Are we going to, you know, because they like to play man coverage. And I think you mentioned it, you know, Peters has kind of traveled with, with the receivers at times. But, you know, if you if you do that, you, you know, that's you're putting Tyreek Hill in man coverage now. And so, Ooh. I mean, you know, it's obviously that's kind of a blessing that, it, you know, it's a gift for the Rams if if Watkins is out, because that's just another guy you have to account for. So I think there are some kind of little things that, you know, it's almost favoring the Rams a little bit even though you know the Rams have haven't been quite up to par in offense themselves without Cup the Rams I think have the the be- the better matchup in the run game still you know even though the Rams haven't been good I think the Chiefs that you like you mentioned it they've been you know bottom the worst in the league so you know this is kind of setting up as an interesting situation where it feels like you know the Rams are these three point favorites everyone should be um, you should kind of, everyone's kind of back in the Chiefs it kind of feels like that's the the right play but yeah, I could see the Rams winning this game and surprising people in terms of being able to maybe win this game a little more significantly, I should say, than um, what we might expect. I like that call. I like that call. All right, last thing on this game before we move on to Thanksgiving, because I feel sad we didn't bring this guy up yet, but the Chiefs' actual number one receiver, meaning the person that leads them in targets, Travis Kelsey, I think he's set up pretty well here. I mean, he, pl- he spends a lot of his time in the slot as it is. Uh, Nicole Roby Coleman's been a great nickelback, but look, I mean, he's five foot seven, 170 pounds. LaMarcus Joyner is one of the smaller free safeties in the league at five foot eight. John Johnson's good, but I mean, he's only six foot two ten. I mean, I-, I think Travis Kelsey is as athletic and way bigger than basically anyone that the uh, Rams are able to put in front of him. Am I wrong? Oh, no, you're not wrong at all. This is this is every week pretty much is a smash spot for Travis Kelsey. This is no different. And, you know, again, I think that the targets are going to be even more concentrated, um, you know, than than usual with with what if Watkins is out. So I I think I love Kelsey. I love I love Hill in this matchup because those are the guys that Patrick Mahomes is going to look to. Cannot wait to watch all these points. All right. 
Let's get going on our Thanksgiving preview. Chris, before we dive into these games, I got to ask, what's your favorite Thanksgiving football moment that pops out to you? So I actually wrote, I mean, so I wrote about this in my, uh, my personal story article over at the Action Network. Uh, you can find a link, uh, pretty much any of my Fantasy Labs articles if you want to read it. But I think it was 1992 or three, I want to say, where the Cowboys were playing the Miami Dolphins. And the Cowboys had just stopped uh, a game-winning field goal from having I think they blocked the kick and Leon let goes and like touches the ball like illegally touches the ball essentially giving giving the uh the Dolphins another possession and another chance to kick the game-winning field goal and like it was just snowing like crazy so they had all these players kind of like you know on the commercial break just shoveling all the snow and it was like it was crazy and then Dolphins didn't win the game but um, that's one of my uh first first football memories really so that always sticks out Oh, man. I mean, Leon Lett, if you didn't think the uh, Super Bowl fumble was bad enough, that poor guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought my favorite uh, Thanksgiving moment, it was like 03 or something. It was the first year they gave out that uh, Foxy about that stooping, stupid galloping gobbler trophy. And Emmett Smith, you know, 100-plus yards touchdown. He won the award, uh, accepted the trophy after the game, but they cut to him walking back to the locker room, and you just saw, uh, you know, 30-plus-year-old Emmett Smith throw this trophy away <laughs> in the trash can as he uh, had a million other things to worry about, like uh, filming those old Visa commercials and all that. So good stuff from the uh, <laughs> 90s and 2000s Cowboys. All right, first game we'll look at. The Chicago Bears are at the Detroit Lions, as always, in Detroit for the first Thanksgiving game. Lions are three-point underdogs at home. Chris, we saw tonight, I mean, this Bears team's looking good. Trubisky has uh, two wins over the FC North in the last two weeks. Didn't have any his entire career up until then. But we've seen with this offense kind of week to week, the weapons are inconsistent. Not really, I don't think it's any fault of their own. They're all pretty talented players. But, you know, between Cohen, Howard, A-Rob, Miller, Gabriel, there's just a lot of mouths to feed. Burton, a tight end, too. Uh, how are you approaching all these Bears weapons around Mitch Trubisky? You know, so Allen Robinson came back, uh, what was it, last week at this point? It was last week they played each other, yeah. right? Yeah, so they played each other last week. Allen Robinson came back, and, and he had a huge game. And Darius Slay, uh, Detroit's best corner, was out for that game. So I would guess that because that happened so recently, Detroit is going to look at this and say, you know, Matt Patricia is going to be like, we don't want this guy, Allen Robinson, to do that to us again. So I think that's going to kind of be the first and foremost thing that he's going to he's gonna look, a, look at and try to take away. So I would, I would probably – kind of go back to Tariq Cohen. I would go to Taylor Gabriel. I think Anthony Miller is kind of cemented himself as an every week fixture at this point. You know, he caught a touchdown and they didn't quite have the amount of targets that we usually see from him, but um, he continues to make plays week in and week out. And Detroit, outside of Slay, uh, their next best corner is ranked 100th in coverage in PFF's cornerback grade. So Matt Nagy will be looking at that in ways to kind of exploit those matchups. So you'll probably see Pretty much all the other, because even though there's five guys on the Bears that can conceivably kind of be in that you know, 15, 20% target range, target share range in a given week, um, that's really it for them. Like they don't really target many other players that much at all. You know, maybe a random Adam Shaheen pass here, Josh Bellamy pass there. But for the most part, it's, it's, uh, it's Robinson, Gabriel, Miller, Burton and Cohen. So I think in this one, you're probably going to see more Gabriel, more Cohen, more Miller. And, uh, and more Burton and Allen Robinson will take a little bit of a backseat because that, that Detroit defense is really – it's pretty exploitable 
everywhere, I, I would say, uh, <laughs> except you. Sway. So I, I think Sway is just the one guy that you're probably not trying to attack too much, even though Allen Robinson, obviously, good enough to win against most corners. But still, I think, I think that's kind of how things go in the NFL, especially in these divisional games. Uh, second time around, usually a little more low scoring and usually the same you know, guy who went off in the first one doesn't necessarily go off again in the second one. Yeah, I believe it was uh, the GOAT, Evan Sova, that first brought up that really since the Lions have brought in Damon Harrison to fix up their interior run defense, I mean, they've just really started getting shelled in the secondary. So, I mean, taking away kind of any resemblance of a pass rush there hasn't helped them. I agree with what you said about this being Taylor Gabriel's game. I think we could have maybe seen a preview of how the Bears will attack the Lions uh, tonight. I mean, Xavier Rose locked up Allen Robinson tonight and Taylor Gabriel ended up getting nine targets and he caught seven of them for 52 yards. So he only had three targets, didn't catch any of them uh, when they played the Lions last. So, I mean, it makes sense that Nagy and Trubisky accordingly are going to try to avoid throwing out the best corner. The one uh, factor I think that's really big in this game is if the Lions can shut down Trubisky's rushing ability. Obviously, uh, Trubisky this year has been really the number two rushing quarterback next to Cam. Lions have easily been number one rush defense against QBs, and they held Cam to just two rushing yards today. They play a ton of zone coverage, and when you're playing in the secondary and you're not forced to play man, you're, you're facing the line of scrimmage. It's easier to stop rushing quarterbacks, but we've seen with Trubisky a lot this year. I mean, that's I think maybe rushing is the biggest part of uh, – I mean, I remember Lamar Jackson, as we saw today. I mean, Trubisky really leans on that rushing ability, I think, more than most quarterbacks. What do you think about kind of Trubisky specifically, his matchup here? That's a great point that he, you know, he is, he adds a whole nother dimension. When you look at his game logs and you see all those outrageous numbers that he put up, those video game numbers, a lot of it is because of that rushing production. And also he's, you know, he's throwing the ball pretty deep on average. Like he's, I think his average up the target is, uh, you know, was pushing 10 entering this week. So he's a guy that will, he'll throw it deep and he'll run. And if they take away his runs, I think he'll be able to, to stay in the pocket and still, kind of pick apart this defense but um you know that does kind of knock down his upside if he's not going to be able to run quite as much but I mean we saw what Cam Newton was able to do just throwing on this defense today and so I wouldn't be too worried about it I think Trubisky's still a a really high upside quarterback if you're playing if you're playing like the one game slate I think you still got to consider him even though quarterbacks on DraftKings in the the 1.5x slot usually aren't the right move because usually that means at least one of their pass catchers went off who's probably cheaper and uh, it's just the way DraftKings scoring works. It's kind of easier for pass catchers to outscore quarterbacks because they're getting that full point and the three out of 100 and all that. So, But Trubisky, because of his rushing ability, you always have to consider him in that MVP slot, in that captain slot. We'll see what happens, but I think this, I think this defense is vulnerable either way. I think they'll still use Jordan Howard. I mean, you know, we kind of saw him, even though they were facing a tough Minnesota defense, he still, you know, they were in positive game script. And so he got a lot of work and, uh, you know, that's, he's always going to be one of the best, if not the best, uh, have the best touchdown probability when the bears are playing. So I think he's a guy that you still want to roster, even though, you know, Damon Harrison has helped that run defense. And, and another thing, I guess we should note too, going back to Allen Robinson and, and the, the matchup with Slay is that Allen Robinson has been, they've been moving all of their receivers around. So Anthony Miller has been the primary slot receiver, 71% of the snaps, but Allen Robinson has been in the slot for 41% of his snaps. So it's, it's very possible that uh, it, they could just kind of move Allen Robinson around a little bit. And I believe Slade doesn't travel in the slot very much, does he? 
Uh, so he didn't until this year, but Patricia has actually been using him a decent amount in there. So I, I'm not sure if it'd be an every rep thing, but like high leverage third down play, he might travel. How was, is it, has he been just as effective or I haven't seen no, that? That's the thing. Like, I remember uh, like against, for example, against Devonte Adams, he was moving to slop and I mean, Devonte was still having a big day on him. So. Yeah. So, I mean, bottom line is I, I would, I would expect Robinson to kind of be quieted a little, but um, he can definitely, there, there is always that possibility of him kind of moving around and, and still getting moves. Yeah. And I mean, even the most complete kind of shadow dates between these cornerbacks and wide receivers can still be 80, 85% receiver proceeds to ball out on those other 15% snaps. So <laughs> absolutely always a possibility. All right. Flipping over our side of the ball. So we talked a little bit earlier, a little bit unknown here at carry on Johnson. If he's not able to suit up, we're expecting kind of enhanced work for LeGarrette Blount and early downs, potentially some more Zach Zenner, uh, Theo Riddick, a little more backfield work in addition to the receiving workload he's had. I'm a little more interested in talking about these pass catchers. Uh, today was the first game without Marvin Jones. He was sidelined with a knee injury. Not sure if he'll be ready to go by Thursday. We saw Kenny Galladay get 14 targets. Bruce Ellington was second with nine targets. Theo Riddick had seven. And the next closest guy was carry on with two. Pretty nice. You know, we talked about some of these different offenses tonight that we have a better idea of the condensed uh, targets and who they're going to. Uh, do you think this kind of Galladay, Ellington, Riddick, one, two, three pecking order will uh, hold true Thursday? It could. It's tough to. It's like I think Galladay. You know, Galladay has kind of proven that he is. He's kind of an up and down guy. Like you know, there. I think there was a game earlier in the year when when they had traded Tate where we expected him to get a lot of targets and he didn't. And now he has over the last two games. He actually got a ridiculous. 82% share of the air yards in today's game. So he's just essentially their whole pass game downfield. Bruce Ellington, yeah, 24% of the targets, but his average at the target was only 3.6. So essentially it was just, you know, kind of dink and dunks. With Ellington and Gaudet was being used as that downfield guy. Now we saw the Bears today, you know, really limit what Stefan. I know Stefan Diggs ended up with a big box score number, but a lot of that was, you know, as they were, trying to come back in that game after they got down and it took a lot of targets to get him to those whatever 126 yards or whatever he had and, and the bears have been really good about kind of keeping those plays in front of them so you could see galladay kind of run into a little more trouble but i mean the volume is just so good that you know he has just massive upside at that at that price but his floor is, is still he still has a low <clears throat> excuse me a low floor uh, for somebody that projects for that many targets, just because we've we've seen him kind of disappear at times from games, and the Bears are one of these defenses that can definitely kind of take take him away if he's the focal point. That's why I, I would kind of almost I almost hope Marvin Jones is back because I think that especially because Marvin Jones can get downfield and is a threat, and you have to mm-hmm. account for him. Um, unlike Bruce Ellington and Brandon Powell and all these other guys, so I think um, you know it, it, we could, we could see them run into some trouble because Matthew Stafford he's really missing. Golden Tate. I mean, he, you know, he took all those sacks in the first two games without Tate. This game, you know, they, they eke out the win, but, um, you know, he, I think he was under six yards in attempt in this one. I think he was at 5.9 yards in attempt. So it just hasn't really been, the passing game really just hasn't been explosive for him since losing Tate. And I, I don't think that's going to change against the Chicago Bears. Yeah, Chicago Bears. I mean, it's always tough to tell the difference between you know, how much of the pass rush helps the corners, how much of the corners helps the pass rush. Regardless, Three of the top 17 cornerbacks per pro football focus start in the Bears secondary. And uh, quickly adding on that Bruce Ellington note, only kind, I guess the only big uh, thing I want to note there was that Ellington outsnapped Riddick 21-3 to from the slot. 
So, I mean, Riddick was pretty popular today in DFS. Seemed like he might be trending towards a almost a primary slot receiver, running back hybrid, almost like the role we were hoping Duke Johnson would have all these years. But mm-hmm. not quite looking like the case. Obviously, seven targets is still seven targets. But we've seen them really not overload Riddick in the past. And seems like that'll probably be the case moving forward. I don't know. I mean, I think that he's probably actually a really good – kind of uh fade recency bias play because pe- maybe people will be a little more down on him than um, they should be but i mean he's he's got i think he's still got that 10 target upside because again you know th- this is a game where kenny galladay got 82 percent of the air yards if the bears limit that in any way uh you know matthew stafford's going to be forced to dink and dunk even more because the receivers beside you know really aren't getting open that that quickly um downfield for him so he's he's kind of forced to you know just have that check down option in mind and if if uh if the bears defense forces him into more check downs then i think you could see riddick end up popping back up it's just tough because if the uh, if the lines aren't able to move the ball then you're getting a lot of empty targets like uh, i think warren sharp always talks about this like how it's not efficient to throw to running backs on third downs it's actually very inefficient usually ends in a punt and so um you know that that's kind of the worry you have with riddick is like okay if he catches eight balls for for, for 40 yards, but like, what is his real touchdown upside? But, and especially if Kerryon Johnson's out, you could even see him back in the backfield. At all. I don't think Matt Patricia wants to give him too many carries because historically Riddick has just not been an efficient runner. Now we know yards per carry is a very unstable, very noisy stat. So it might be nothing, but you know, Riddick's under four yards to carry for his career and never really has been that guy to, to break off um you know, to consistently be effective in the run game. Yeah, definitely a situation where, you know, his ownership could swing wildly while his actual role and talent aren't moving all that much at all. But yeah, like you said, I mean, if Carrion can, Carrion had 15 carries today, he's obviously been there clear cut RB1 for the last month or so. So if he can leave, uh, Riddick can hopefully get more than the one carry he had today, obviously help his floor and ceiling. All right, next game. Uh, mid-afternoon we got the Redskins visiting the Cowboys this uh, line opened up as Cowboys minus nine and a half uh, Vegas getting a little ambitious with the news of Alex Smith being out dropped to Cowboys minus eight the public's at least respecting the Colt McCoy experience and I'll tell you what man I, I don't really blame him he uh, he didn't look bad today we, we've seen enough of Colt McCoy over the years I think he's a perfectly fine NFL backup uh, fun fact his last win actually came against the Cowboys in the 2014 edition of their Thanksgiving Day rivalry. So, Chris, you buying the Colt McCoy, uh, Washington Redskins offense? Uh, uh, <laughs> no. No, no. <laughs> like, oh, man. Like, it was it, – it, it's funny because I actually had the, the Texans minus three today, and, and I feel like Colt McCoy ruined my bet. <laughs> I feel like I would. I feel like I would have been safe if Alex Smith had gave him a spark. And he really did give him a spark. Um, and you know, on a short week, weird things can happen. So I wouldn't like rule out like that. Like you mentioned, it that spread is a little is a little much for this kind of game for a divisional game. You know, with with two kind of middling teams. Mm-hmm. You know, even with uh, Alex Smith out. So uh, I think the public the public loves to bet on the Cowboys. So I think that's why you saw that line open as high as it did. I think. Um, you know, the books kind of expected it to be bet down a little bit, but in this, but I think the interesting thing to note is Trey Quinn uh, was activated today. He ended up taking over in the slot, uh, got four targets, caught them all 49 yards, 10% target share, not really too much to write home about, but Cowboys generally do a good job defending on the outside. They have uh, kind of big physical corners in Byron Jones, who's, I, I know he's up there pretty high in PFF's grades as well. Uh, Chidobe Awujie 
And so they, they're, they're pretty decent on the outside. They, they struggle a little bit more over the middle of the field. And so because of that, I think you want to take note of Trey Quinn. Obviously, Jordan Reed, his target share keeps growing up and up, you know, even though he's not the same explosive player he was a couple years ago when he had his huge season with Kirk Cousins. But he's still a guy that the most dependable guy in this, uh, you know, that, that, that the quarterback can throw to when he's standing back there at this point. I would expect Josh Dotson to struggle with, the, with those outside corners. Maurice Harris moving outside. Uh, you know, I would expect him to probably struggle as well. We'll see if uh, Chris Thompson and Jamison Crowder are back. I would guess not. But as usual, opens it up for, the, for these kind of underneath pass catchers on Washington because McCoy, not, not that different from Alex Smith, not, not really a big arm guy. Uh, career average up to target 7.3, so not really throwing downfield a ton. I would just, I would just kind of expect more of the same. Yeah, a lot of good points there. Uh, after Alex Smith went down, Josh Doxson led the way with five targets. Jordan Reed had three. Trey Quinn had two. Nobody else had more than one. But like you said, I mean, Byron Jones, I believe going this week, he was PFS number five cornerback. If you watched the Falcons-Cowboys game, you saw how much success the Falcons had just simply moving Julio away from Byron Jones. But, I mean, Doxson isn't quite the same caliber receiver as Julio, obviously. So I think uh, Chidobia Wuzier will be able to uh, stand up to that battle a little bit better. First thing I looked at was, was Colt McCoy's average death of target uh, from 2014 because I knew the narrative would be, okay, now the Redskins don't have this, uh, you know, check down game manager or quarterback. But, yeah, I mean, I think he was at like 7.3 and Alex Smith's like at 8.4 yards average target death this year. So I'm not sure it's necessarily going to be – a major change in offense and suddenly the Redskins will have this downfield passing attack. I'm not even sure if they have the offensive line to do that if they wanted to. I mean, when they played the Cowboys last, that was when they had their starting left tackle, their starting left guard, and their starting right guard. They've all been lost since then. But I guess the only other uh, part of the Redskins offense I want to touch on is this running back situation. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't think Chris Thompson's any closer to coming back from this ribs injury. If he stays out, we have Adrian Peterson locked in as the kind of alpha RB1 Still a little bit game flow dependent. The problem is Capri Bibbs isn't even the number one kind of complimentary guy anymore. Byron Marshall outsnapped him 17 to 16 today. So, I mean, it's a, it's a one-game slate, so we got to look at this. But, I mean, what are your thoughts on this backfield, kind of knowing it's not ideal game flow for AP, and then we have uncertainty behind him? You know, the fact that Marshall was just activating, you know, Samaje P. Ryan had been serving as that, really the number four back, but mostly the number three back because Chris Thompson hasn't played in a while. And so uh, the fact that, you know, with, with P Ryan out, they activated Marshall and put him you know, right in the fire equal snap rate to Capri Bibbs kind of makes me think that they favor him a bit because I, you know, I, from just watching Bibbs, uh, you know, he makes plays. He seems like a guy that you would want to get more, more touches to. He seems like he's always making a play when he does touch the ball, but for whatever reason, uh, they haven't really been giving him touches even with Chris Thompson out. I don't know if that was a function more so of Alex Smith, but the fact that Marshall came in here and kind of equaled his snaps right off the bat makes me think that uh, Marshall is probably the guy we want to look at look at first as that dart throw play before Capri Bibbs. Yeah, I think I'm with you there, man. I mean, I just don't know if uh, Bibbs really has that coaching staff's trust if they're going to put Marshall ahead of him first week back. All right, swinging over to the Cowboys' side of the ball. Um, we'll look at the run game first. I mean, obviously, they're trying to get Zeke involved any week they can. Zeke's had some nice uh, career success against Washington. He's, uh, he's got 87 total yards and a touchdown, 120 total yards and two tutties, 154 and two tutties. But then this year in his first matchup, had uh, 42 scoreless yards on 17 touches. So 
Redskins were popping in a lot of my uh, matchup articles early on in the year because their D-line still ranks really bad in adjusted line yards allowed per rush. They're 29th. But I've come to kind of realize I couldn't figure out why Zeke, why Christian McCaffrey, why these running backs just could not run the ball on Washington. And I think it's just because they're super sound tackling kind of at the second level. Zach Brown is PFS number four overall linebacker. DJ Swearinger is their number three safety. Haha Clinton Dix their number four safety. I mean, that's three top five players in the second line of your defense that are clearly pretty strong tacklers. With that said, we have seen Zeke and the Cowboys kind of go to a second level, especially in these last two weeks, you know, include the Titans even after the bye. What do you think here at home? I mean, do you think Zeke's just going to have his way here or can Washington kind of stand up to this uh, Cowboys O-line and uh, power running game? I think you'll see Zeke kind of get right in this one. Um, you know, that that seems like more of a blip on the radar. I think Washington, you know, as you mentioned, is, you know, is better than some of their numbers show on defense uh, in certain places. But, you know, they, they've been a little bit, um, you know, they're definitely exploitable. I mean, we saw Tampa Bay put up all the yards on, on them the week before. Uh, you know, Lamar Miller and uh, Alfred Blue had pretty solid games today. Miller 20 for 86, Blue 8 for 46. They kind of limited Miller in the passing game. He caught three balls for 22 yards on five targets, but they, they did give up the eight for 102 to Jaquiz Rogers the week before. So we have a, a three-game sample now of, uh, of what the Cowboys offense looks like with Amari Cooper as the number one alpha dog receiver here. And so he's at 23% target share. Ezekiel Elliott is number two at 20%. And I mean, obviously you play the Falcons, that's probably inflated a bit. So uh, maybe that'll come down to more in like that 15% or so range, but um, still notable that he's the second most targeted receiver pass catcher after, after Cooper. Then you have Cole Beasley at 16%. He was closer to 19, 20% before Cooper arrived. Michael Gallup at 14% as well. And I think the interesting one here again is Gallup because uh, he actually got a 49% air yard share today, only caught one of five targets. So it uh, doesn't really show up in the stat sheet, but he's a guy that you can kind of buy low on. And uh, especially in a tournament, um, I think he's a guy that you still want to go back to because everyone's going to be focused on on the other two guys or even or even Beasley, who, you know, is a guy that can pop up with a lot of catches. But, um, you know, in, in a tournament, you always prefer the air yards if you can get them because then you only need one or two plays to kind of make a difference. Yeah, from a cornerback perspective, we'll want to keep an eye on the status of uh, Quentin Dunbar, the Redskins' number two guy. Uh, he's been dealing with a leg injury, been out for the last few weeks. Because of that, Josh Norman has been uh, traveling with and shadowing the opponent's number one receiver, which would be obviously Amari Cooper this week. With that said, the Redskins do run a whole lot of zones, so their version of shadow coverage isn't quite the same man-on-man run across the entire field with you that you might think otherwise. So won't be as big of a downgrade as you might think all right last and final game oh man i was laughing when i found out who the saints were playing in uh, week 12 after watching them run up all these points the last three weeks but we have the falcons as the next uh, defense willing to sacrifice themselves to the new orleans saints saints opened up as 14 and a half point favorites at home that's been bet down to minus 12 and a half chris i mean saints are kind of at their highest point in the season Falcons seem to be at their lowest are, are you accepting that the, the Saints are great and the Falcons suck or do you think this is maybe a week where uh, we, we kind of find out maybe we don't know as much as we think we know it's getting harder and harder to to say that you know the Saints shouldn't be getting these these huge uh, spreads because they're, they're covering them they're they're blowing people out uh, you know that's the mark of a good team when you start when you start blowing people out 
it, it's actually not, you know, one score game records, a lot of variance in that, um, you know, that usually ends up at 500 over the long term. So the, the mark of a good team is that point differential. It's beating, it's beating up on teams and blowing teams out. And we're starting to see the Saints do that. I mean, I, I think it was impressive even that they, they beat the Rams by double digits. So I, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, I, I probably, I'm not, I don't think I'm betting uh, on the Saints at that number. I don't think I'm betting against the Saints at that number. I think, I think that we just have to kind of continue to expect more of the same. And we know that this, this Falcons defense is one that's going to give up a lot of plays to running backs in the passing game. So of course that puts Alvin Kamara and, you know, in a, in a smash spot, of course, and Mark Ingram in a, in a smash spot essentially as well, because the Saints, because they're really, they're, they're a lot thinner at like pass catcher than you would think for a team that's so dominant. I mean, they have Michael Thomas, and now they have Trey Con Smith, who kind of emerged, really, really broke out today. Um, I know he had the other, multi, I think he had a multi-touchdown game earlier in the year, but um, I, I would say like this this game now, I think he caught 10 balls in this one. And, uh, you know, that's really it. And they got the running backs. And so uh, I think you're going to continue to see that concentrated target share in this one as well, where it's going to be Thomas, it's going to be Smith, and it's going to be the two backs. And I mean, I, I'm guessing Brandon Marshall will be active. I don't expect to, to see him play a huge role. I think they just like to have another guy in the red zone, inside the 10-yard line, all that, that they can use because it's been really just Michael Thomas has been at 35, 34% of their targets inside the 10, and then uh, Watson and Kamara right under 20%, and no one else is really um, – they don't really have any other go-to guys in there. So I think they just kind of looking for one more big-body guy that, that Drew Brees can uh, – can, can maybe get isolated in single coverage and throw a little jump ball to every once in a while. But I, I think, I would think Traquan will continue to operate as the, as the, the clear cut number two receiver. I think, uh, I think you're still going to see guys like uh, Keith Kirkwood and, and Austin Carr mixed in as well in the slot. Cause it's not like Brandon Marshall's playing the slot either. So maybe just a tight end of them. Yeah. I don't, I, I mean, maybe because you know, it's interesting. They've been, you know, I don't know what his snap count was today. But he, he was inactive today. He was no, inactive. no, uh, not him. Oh. Uh, uh, Ben Watson because oh, okay, yeah, that's been going down. Yeah, yeah, his snaps have been going down over the past uh, few weeks, and uh, they've they've been incorporating a little more uh, Daniel Arnold, uh, Josh, Josh Hill, Arnold, more yeah. of a, a blocking type. But he's been on the field a, a lot too, and uh, so I wonder if they're kind of you know looking for maybe yeah again somebody to just replace that role, um, you know that Watson role as, as the season progresses because you know Watson is up there in age, you know, nearing 40 and, you know, maybe it's just the, the season's kind of wearing on him or they're saving him for the playoffs. Who knows? But definitely uh, have seen a decrease with him. And I think the you know tight end position is a position or, you know, anytime you're talking about anything underneath with this Falcons defense, I think you have to look at those guys. So if we get word that Marshall's active, I think he's definitely a threat to, to catch a touchdown, but I wouldn't expect high volume. Yeah, definitely gonna be similar. I think what we've seen, uh, I mean, honestly, kind of like Jimmy Graham over the last uh, few years, different position kind of stuff, but definitely going to be a limited ceiling there. A few, few points you mentioned. I mean, this Falcons defense, good God, running backs against them. Every single starter has scored at least 20 DraftKings points, except Adrian Peterson. This game flow got away from him there. Uh, Deion Jones, their stud middle linebacker, he has PFF's highest grade among all linebackers this year, regardless of snap count he was activated from the injured reserve this week did not end up playing so keep an eye out if he's able to get active for thursday either way i mean chris and i have talked on this pod all year the falcons as they should 
uh, allow offenses to check down versus throw the ball over their head. I mean, they allowed the most receptions to running backs the last three years with or without Jones. So won't necessarily be a massive difference, difference maker. The last thing I just want to touch on was uh, once the Saints added Eli Apple, we saw Marshawn Lattimore stop shadowing. I think it turns out it was just because those matchups didn't quite re- uh, require uh, him to travel with the opponents, number one. Today, we did see Marshawn move across the field with Alshon Jeffrey and really take him out of the game for the first time since they got Eli Happel. Uh, in their first matchup this year, obviously, Marshawn was locking up Julio pretty well for the first half as Calvin Ridley found the end zone three times. And they actually switched Marshawn onto uh, Ridley at one point to try to slow him down. We've seen Julio completely ball out since his touchdown drought from hell. He's gone uh, 121 yards in a touchdown, 107 yards in a touchdown, and 118 yards in a touchdown today. Chris, do you think Marshawn Lattimore can limit Julio here? And kind of what are your thoughts on him in this game? I think they might, you know, after what happened last, I mean, they might actually want to, to have Lattimore on Ridley because it, it, it might make a little more sense from a, just a physical standpoint. I think – I think uh, Lattimore is better able to kind of deal with the kind of receiver Ridley is than uh, than Eli Apple might be. So I mean, I, you could just see them do like try to use Lattimore to contain Ridley and uh, and then you know put multiple guys and you know try to double triple Julio or whatnot. But this defense has been better. I, I was really surprised that they uh, were able to play as well as they did against the Eagles, even though they were the big home favorite. I just the Eagles have been you know passing the ball pretty well uh, over these last few games, but. Uh, the one thing you did see is that the Saints, they're number 31 and number or number 32 in DVOA to number one wide receivers, number two wide receivers uh, and running backs, but they're top five against tight ends. But PJ Williams, like I, like, I think you're, they're, they're kind of turning that around a little bit, as you mentioned, but PJ Williams has a coverage grade that ranks 112th among corners from PFF. Who knows how long they're going to continue to throw him out there? But I, again, I didn't. I'm not. I don't have the snap data in front of me from today. But um, you kind of saw a similar target distribution play out even with Philly today, where you had Golden Tate get eight targets and lead the team, and you know that was you know Jeffrey and Ertz only had eight targets combined, and you also saw the running backs Josh Adams and Corey Clement combined for eight targets as well. So you are seeing the Saints kind of funnel the ball in the pass game into certain spots. And uh, I would think that, you know, in this spot, you know, it might be a good spot for, for a guy like Muhammad Sanu, who, you know, will at, probably end up running a lot of his routes inside against whoever, whatever slot corner, uh, you know, they're, they're putting out there. And then obviously, you know, Tevin Coleman out of the backfield in the pass game as well. We know he's, he's always historically been a pretty good pass catcher. His, his yards per reception tends to be pretty high. So I think that you could see, a little more of that out of Atlanta in this in this spot as well. It, you know, I know everyone's going to kind of be fixated on Julio, and he'll probably get his no matter what. But uh, I think you know Sanu and Coleman will be factors in this game as well. Yeah, good point there on Coleman. Since the Falcons week eight bye, uh, Tevin's had at least three catches in all three games. Only had two such games in weeks one through seven, so could be a little noisy. But it would make sense if the Falcons uh, do get him more involved as a receiver, especially with Sanu kind of continually banged up with this little hip thing, but we expect him to still be out there. All right, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. We're going to wrap up here with our weekly bet. Chris Rams minus three. We got the over under at 63. I'm going with the, I'm going with the Rams. Uh, You know, I think all, this is like all the publics on the chiefs. Everyone loves the chiefs right now. 
again, I think the Rams can get some pressure on Patrick Mahomes. I think the fact that they'll be at home gives them a little bit of an extra edge. I think that, uh, you know, if Watkins, if he's not at 100, even if he plays, he's not at 100%. Um, I think that somewhat mitigates the Rams losing cup on the other side. And, uh, you know, I think they get it done uh, in their building. So give me the Rams minus three. All right. With that, I will take the over. Thanks to Action Network friend analyst Mark Gallant. He's noted that there have been 11 games to close with a total of 57 and a half or higher over the past 15 years. And every last one of them has gone over by an average of 10 points. So I've been getting my butt kicked here against the spread. So I'm going back to the analytics and uh, <laughs> get a tell you here. Uh, I'll take the first player, which I mean, how could it not be Mr. Todd Gurley, man? Who are you taking? Whew. So many choices. I am going to take, I, I got to take Patrick Mahomes. Like it's, yeah, I, no, yeah, yeah. I'm going to take Patrick Mahomes. I'm, I'm going to take, I thought I was thinking about Kareem Hunt or Tyreek Hill because they have that similar kind of upside, but I mean, Mahomes is just so special that if the Rams are winning, if the Rams end up winning the game, like I think they will, uh, I still think Mahomes will put up big numbers because I don't think that there's really such thing as, uh, as stopping him. So give me Patrick Mahomes in the shootout and we'll see what happens. I think I speak for everyone when I say I cannot wait to watch that one. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, This has been the Action Network NFL podcast. Uh, Tune back in later this week for the Daily Fantasy Flex. Again, Chris will be featured on that. That will be replacing the uh, Friday show for your ultimate preview for Week 12 action. Thank you for joining. Chris, tell them what's up. Let's get this money, and happy holidays. (laughs) Happy holidays. (laughs) 